What's up internet? Hope you're all doing well out there today. I am okay-ish. I've been ill again. Apparently, like, the common cold is my greatest weakness. Who would have thought? But, other than that, we're all good. It's been a bit of a delay just because my throat was ruined. But I spent the whole time binging uh, Viva the Dirt League's D&D, the NPC D&D. And I have to say, if you haven't watched it and you sort of like D&D and stuff, go out and watch it. It's some of the funniest, most chaotic shit I've ever seen in a campaign. You know, a lot of people, they think when you're playing D&D, it's going to be like Critical Role or one of the others like that. But a lot of the time, it'll be like Viva the Dirt League D&D, where it's just a chaotic mess of the DM desperately trying to keep the players on track. But that's it for me. Hope, you know, if you want to share anything, if you're having a good time, if you're having a bad time, just message in and I'll probably respond to you promptly. Um... Let's get this show on the road. It is episode six, which is, uh, you know, it's incredible for me. It's lovely. I really enjoy doing this. See, other than video gaming, the only hobby I've really got. Um, I'm probably going to re-number all the episodes soon, so I'm going to do away with the whole, oh, there's bonus episodes, and just do it all as individual numbers. So the ones before the next one, we're going to have the wrong number going forward, but, you know, we'll, we'll get over it. I'm sure don't, you don't care that much. Um, music! One of these days, I'm not gonna really obviously say the music's happening, I'm not gonna comment on it afterwards, but today is not that day. You might notice we're a bit more calm today, a bit low energy, a bit chill. And that's because we are being chill today. For real, I've got a habit of getting really excited and um, just going away with the fairies and not really saying anything of substance. So, today we're gonna try and stay on topic for more than two minutes at a time. And today's topic is being that it's, you know, Halloween season. Um, we're going to talk about the vampires in The Witcher because they're interesting. They're a really unique take on vampires and things of that nature in sort of fantasy lore and the fantasy world. Now, I did have about 10 pages worth of notes. However, those appear to have been lost to the winds of the Google Doc I use. So. We're going to be doing pretty much all of this just from my memory of taking notes a few days ago. So, hopefully this will go well. We'll soon find out. To start, though, we're going to talk a bit about the um, history of the vampires. Um, which we mainly learn mostly about in the Blood and Wine expansion of The Witch of the Wild Hunt. But, we're going to talk about that and then go on to the types of vampires. We're going to talk about the four sort of most notable ones. So... Within the game, that would be the Higher Vampires, the Bruxae or Bruxa, the Catacans, which um, again, they're probably one of the more common vampire fights you have in the video game The Wild Hunt, <coughs> Excuse me, and the Ekimaras, which are another relatively common one, although they're viewed as weaker, less intelligent, less threatening, uh, they're more about raw savagery. So the actual history of the vampires is they don't come from the same world as the continent where most of the lore in the world is set. They come from a, a world of magic and monsters which came to be during a conjunction of spheres, the um, sort of merging of worlds that create that caused monsters to be in the main world. <clears throat> and they came in three distinct uh, clans or families 
I'm going to mispronounce them because I haven't played the game in fuck knows how long, so I'm just trying to read them. So it's the Garashan, which remained sort of where they stayed in the west, so in Tucson. Uh, then there's the Amuran, who fucked off. They went, ah, I'm done with this, I'm going over to sea. I want to see the rest of the world, not just this one continent that seems to have been created. Wink, wink. And then the um, Det, which went east beyond the Blue Mountains, which is sort of the end of the map as far as we know. So they all went off to go do their own thing. Now, within their culture, they did have certain rules. So a vampire could not kill another vampire. To do so, you were to be viewed as a traitor to your people. You were to be executed. You were to have a bad time. I mean, ironically, we see it happen in uh, Blood and Wine. Uh, spoilers. Where Regis kills Detlaf at the end. And he's like, oh, I didn't want to because it's against the vampire code of conduct. But, you know, sometimes you've got to do what you've got to do. So... Just a little snippet of their history there, just so you know where I'm coming from going forwards. Now, because they're magical, they are basically proof against steel. That's why silver works on them. So that's why Geralt always draws his silver sword to fight a vampire, which we see him do in the novels and in the games. So it's, you know, it's accurate, it's consistent, at least with the continuity of what witches and vampires are capable of individually. So the first one I want to talk about is the Bruxa. Because I think they're one that... They're just interesting. So, Broxa, for a start, unlike um, Ikimaras, they can appear to be human. And they normally appear in the form of beautiful women. And they are often mistaken for another two kinds of vampire. Which would be the Alp or the Mula. Which is uh, two other kinds of female vampires. But we're going to talk about them another day. They were concentrating entirely on the Broxa. So... The first Bruxa we encounter in the lore of the Witcher in the story as it's going is in the novel The Last Wish as uh, Verena, the wife of Nivellen. Ah, see, remembering names. It's good times to be had by all. Definitely mispronounced though. That's my thing. Now, we get good examples in The Last Wish in this particular short story of what a Bruxa is capable of on its own. So. Uh, I'm going to use the fight it has with Geralt and the Velen himself as the example of some of the powers they are capable of. So we know from that fight, one, they can transform into some kind of flying bat creature. Two, they have some kind of screech and sonic ability that can knock a grown man into a wall and disorient and just mess with his head in general. They are real fast. I mean, Geralt struggles to keep up with it, and even at this point in the story, he's a super experienced monster hunter. He he knows what he's doing, and once he figures out it is, in fact, a Bruxar, he immediately realises how much danger he's in. Not really being as concerned with if it was one of the other varieties, until he realises, shit, it's a Bruxar. Mm, fuck, it's a Bruxar. And... So they're super fast. They're also extremely strong and very, very, very durable. I mean, during the course of this fight, we see uh, Geralt is knocked out of the fight for a moment and Nivellen, the man assisting him, or the monster assisting him, uh, impales uh, Verena the Bruxa with a large piece of, I believe, scaffolding. Um, instead of dying like any reasonable person would, she decides to pull herself along this length of scaffolding with... Um, just murder in her heart. 
and as it goes to claw through Novellan's throat and rip his throat out and kill him, Geralt is able to behead her, which, as it would for most things, is the end. However, that shows their durability, that you can stab one straight through the chest, and they just go, well, that's inconvenient. Murder time. <laughs> and, yeah, and that's the first time we encounter a Bruxite in The Witcher lore. Now... There's also the A Night to Remember trailer for The Witcher The Wild Hunt. They do appear in The Witcher and Assassins and Kings, but I'm, I'll be honest, I'm getting around to playing them. Uh, I played a bit of the first Witcher, and I know some of you out there love it. It's a classic. To me, the problem I have is I played The Wild Hunt first. So I've kind of been, in terms of gameplay, I was spoiled by it almost to play the earlier ones. But they'll get there. I've just been, I've, I've read about them. I've read the story and the creatures you fight, so I know you do, in fact, fight uh, vampires in the other games. But in The Wild Hunt, there's also the A Night to Remember trailer, where Geralt fights a Bruxar. Now, they're not overly relevant in the base game for A Wild Hunt. I don't actually think you fight a single Bruxar. Maybe one that I've forgotten, maybe. But they are certainly relevant when we hit Blood and Wine, where we meet Oriana. Now with her, there's a little bit of inconsistency inconsistency, in the storytelling where they can't seem to decide if she's a Brux or a higher vampire. I mean, if you look at the internet, it says she's a higher vampire. However, everything we've been shown shows that she's a Bruxer, not in fact a higher vampire. So, eh, she's either a higher vampire or a Bruxer. You know, what do you want from me, people? I'm not going to tell you the answers to life's quandaries like this. So she's a good example of a Bruxar. She runs an orphanage and feeds on children because reasons. And that is who we see in A Night to Remember, uh, the trailer. She, very powerful, we see in the trailer. She, you know, goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Geralt of Rivia and fucks him up right before he murders her in the face like a boss. But, speaking of she might be a higher vampire, we're going to talk about higher vampires. Ah, oh, yes, a higher vampire, obviously. Now, I'm going to say one thing. Obviously, if you've played The Wild Hunt, you know there is a higher vampire in Novigrad. Here's the thing. And here's what I think is a bit of a problem. He states he is a higher vampire and then transforms into a catechin. Now, the problem here is where you don't know if that is an inconsistency of the writing, as in they hadn't created the law for higher vampires yet, or if they refer to him as a higher vampire, as in a higher class of vampire, as like a catagon to a, a weaker Ekimora, for instance. I swing back and forth on this. I think, I think, if I'm being honest, I think he's just a higher class of vampire, like a catagon, because he's intelligent and can turn human uh, at his discretion. So I don't think he's necessarily a true higher vampire, because... We're going to talk about the abilities of a higher vampire. First up, they are unkillable to anything other than another vampire. So, should, say Geralt. He rolls into town, beheads it, and he's like, right, you can fuck yourself. That vampire will be back. It, it will take a while, it has to regenerate, but it will be back. And there is not a damn thing you can do to stop it happening. I mean... There's even a Regis, who is a friend of Geralt's. He was decapitated, staked through the heart, sprinkled with holy water, and then buried. 
it did not stop him from regenerating. I mean, it took a while, but he still did it. And that is why they are, of all monsters and magical beings in the world of the Witcher, there's horrible things, you know, there's giant fiends, there's dragons, there's, um, like, ghouls, and every horrible creature, I think vampires are the most dangerous because of that. The fact there's a type of them that you can't kill, no matter how hard you try. In Blood and Wine, we see two of them wipe out essentially a small army on their own just with their claws. They are incredibly violent and unpleasant. But that's not to say they're savage. They're not. They are very, very intelligent. I mean, they're very old generally because they are, in theory, immortal. So it's reasonable to know that they are, in fact, intelligent. Especially considering they know if they are revealed, they've basically got to find a new place to live or kill everyone in the world. So you've got vampires like Regis who kind of don't really feed on people's blood. And there's a few examples of this with higher vampires. They don't need to do it to live, so they choose not to. And they kind of renounce the violence of just murdering people for what would essentially be a luxury to them. Now... Some of their abilities they, they share with other vampires. All vampires are really strong, they're all really fast. However, the difference with higher vampires is that they have so much more. So they can, much like a Bruxa, can turn to a giant bat monster, which is great. They can turn invisible, which is horrible. Catacans can also do this, and I think some Bruxas can as well. They are immune to silver wounding them. So... With other magical creatures, they might be immune to steel, but not silver. So, they're not adversely affected by it any more than a normal metal, which is very unique in magical creatures. They're immune to sunlight. They've adapt like they, they can adapt and become immune to sunlight, which is kind of unfortunate. And, yeah, they're just extremely powerful. Like, you can stake them through the heart, decapitate it, it'll just feel mildly inconvenienced. More than anything, it'll probably just come back and wipe ten generations of your family off the face of the earth for daring inconvenience it in such a fashion. So, the most we see of high vampires and the Witcher is in Blood and Wine. It's the main focus of the Blood and Wine story is about a high vampire called Detlaf. And that's where, like I said earlier, we learn a lot of the lore for vampires in general. It's a great expansion. I think it really expanded the world really well. And that's where we sort of learn everything. Like, there were three families of higher vampires. A vampire can... Only a vampire can kill a higher vampire. But we learn about another kind. Known as the Unseen Elder. Which is, to a higher vampire... Well, it seems, the way they talk about it. It seems it is to a higher vampire what that in what a higher vampire is to a man. So, the most we see of the Unseen Elder is um, Geralt talking to him. We don't really see a true display of his ability, other than the fact he can seem to move instantaneously, almost like he can teleport. Now, if you watch uh, the cutscene that happens if you bother him too much and he gets annoyed, I wouldn't say he's teleporting, because... You can't teleport and someone dies. He claws Geralt to death in one fell blow, which means he's actually moving so fast, it seems like he's teleporting. And he reveals that he's... Well, he's guarding 
where the new well okay it's not all set in like stone it's more theory craft but he does reveal that he's guarding a portal for the next conjunction of spheres now is that so he can go home or is that so nothing nasty can come through and ruin he's got a good thing I think it's so he can go home but that's just me now there are more than one but again it's one of those things no one wants to bother him like even Regis sort of says I'd rather not go down this route it's not ideal and so it's an optional thing I didn't do it personally on my first playthrough so I was like oh, I'm going to listen to Regis and not bother him maybe but like I say he's another kind of high vampire that's a completely different league of his own and in, apparently there may be more than one which is shitballsingly terrifying for people living in that world if you're wondering what that weird sound was that was me desperately trying to pause this because I really needed to uh, burp really loudly it was great it was not embarrassing at all so gonna move past high vampires now I'm probably gonna do like a top 10 vampire or something sometime and they'll definitely be on it really high up I have to actually add a note here old uh what's his face Andreas Sipkowski Okay, so I'm going to be honest, I can't pronounce the writer of the witch's name. So we're just going to call him Andre. 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 I'm going to quickly go find out how to pronounce his name. And back in the room. Okay, so apparently it's Andre Sapkowski. Or something along those lines. So, see, we're, we're learning together, everyone. Credit to him. He created a very, very interesting kind of vampire in his world. It's very, very, very unique compared to what we traditionally see in a lot of different fictional medias and I would give him a 10 out of 10 for creativity on that they destroy and laugh at the usual stereotypes of vampires you know stake through the heart just fuck all holy water nah don't care religious symbol ah, one of them is a religious zealot so that's clearly not going to work and I just have to I spend a lot of time shitting on things, and I know I do. Like, I think I said in the Witcher episode, I have a lot of problems with the Witcher's lore and its inconsistencies and how not expanded upon enough it is. But I have to say, in terms of creativity and breaking the norms, it is a 10 out of 10. It is a triumph. But um, enough of sucking his balls. We're going to talk about something else. So we're going to go on to uh, Catacans, or Catacans, or Catacans. Now, these are again a higher form of vampire compared to your lower ones like Ekimoras. So these are considered the intelligent, the smart boys. These ones, um, much like higher vampires, they can dis disguise themselves as humans and act like humans. Uh, they can turn invisible. They are undetectable by magic, like the witch medallions. So, they are also susceptible to the sun, strangely enough, despite Alps, Bruxay, and High <clears throat> excuse me, and High Vampires, they are in fact susceptible to sunlight, which is a bit odd. Now, much like any intelligent vampire, they enjoy drinking blood, they don't necessarily require it, they just enjoy it, but they don't obliterate their victims, they just sort of suck you dry and then leave you alone I mean they're a bit more savage and feral than say a higher vampire and they like to according to the interwebs 
They like to wear shiny trinkets in their fur and make themselves look pretty in such fashions. But they're by no means stupid. I'm fairly certain the Oxenford drunk, and you can correct me, the Quest in the Wild Hunt is a catacomb that's specifically hunting drunk people because it enjoys the alcohol content in their blood. Now the biggest, most important power I think they have is their, is their stealth. It's their ability to turn invisible and not be detected. I mean, think, if you're a sneaky monster killer that wants to murder everyone in the face and you want to drain them of their human body juice why do I feel like I've said this before? Human body juice get some today stealth is your best option because despite how powerful you might be eventually someone's going to come by who's going to get the job done because you're not immortal like a high vampire you can be killed, they can't, they can do whatever they want you need to be careful so stealth, invisibility, undetectability probably it's most powerful ability and they're described they're described as having bat-like features, and I just it might just be me and my big dumb brain, but I just don't see it. I don't see how in any way they look bat-like. But I've been wrong before. I've been wrong about a great many things in my life. Anyway, <laughs> so... But they all have sort of similar appearances. They've got huge long claws that'll grow forever. And they look like monstrous bipedal bat monsters that just look like they want to murder you in the face like a boss. So there's not a lot more to say about them because there's less lore about them because they're not as impressive as higher vampires. Which is sad because they're the one you encounter the most in the game with Ekimoras. Like, you encounter like two... I think two or three high vampires in all of the Witcher. Whereas the Catagans are reasonably common enemies. Not common as in you bump into them in the street, but there's just there's more quests about them. And there's just more about them. I just remembered a bit of trivia my friend told me the other day actually about Bruxes. So I was talking to my friend about this the other day. Uh, he's Portuguese. And it turns out a Bruxer is based on a Portuguese folklore thing. That's all I know. That's all my trivia. I then checked it, and it says it on the Witcher Wikia. That's probably where he learnt it as well. Anywho, so we're going to talk about Ekimoras. Ekimaras. Ekikukomoras. They have ridiculously hard to pronounce names. That might just be me, though. I'm shit at pronouncing names. Now, <laughs> these are not smart. I'm not saying they're animals, but they are not smart. They, much like every other vampire variety, they're real fast and real strong. You know, they, These are strong enough that they can hit essentially the witch's equivalent to mithril armor and just punch through it like, oh, that was not unfortunate in the slightest. They, so quick, strong, stealth, all of the things. However, these do not just drink your blood. They're more a fan of tearing you into a thousand tiny pieces and then just licking it off the floor like a cat or a dog that spilt its food bowl. So, yeah. Much like every other vampire, they also have the ability to regenerate. But unlike higher vampires and more powerful ones, they are susceptible to silver, because they're magical creatures. And they just tend to act in a more feral fashion. Right, I'm going to quote the beast Jerry from the game uh, that I found quite entertaining when I played it. Bah, I ain't nothing to fear. 
Ekimura's why well, ain't nothing more than overgrown bats. City Guardsman's last words. So, they'll still murder an average person with extreme ease. Um, their main fighting their uh, words, tactics, combatability, fighting style, wushu. Their main thing is they're going to turn invisible, spank you a bit, and then turn invisible again, spank you some more, then turn invisible again. So, obviously, if you're someone like a witcher or a vampire hunter, you've probably got the tools to deal with that. So, of all the vampires, they're one of the more threatening ones, but they probably rate somewhere in the middle. Like, below Catagans, but above, like, uh, I think they're called Nosferats. Uh, Nosferats. Or, yeah. To me, anyway. I think they definitely look more intimidating. I mean, just Google a picture of the hairy bastard. Oh. Now, at this point, we're going to end. And the reason for that is I've realised in trying to make the episodes longer, I have a really bad habit where I just kind of start rambling. And I think it'll be more constructive if I do slightly shorter, more topic-focused episodes. Now, if you want me to do a long one now and then, where I just sort of ramble on for ages, I'm happy to do that. I'll do whatever people want me to. Just email in at letstalkfantasy93 at gmail.com. <laughs> Slipped it in there. And let me know what you think. Let me know what you want to hear me talk about. I'll do whatever reading I need to. Because, you know, we recently hit 150 views, and I, I really enjoyed that. You know, some people have watched it, listened to this, and clearly enjoyed it because they've come back. And that's a really nice feeling. And I just want to thank everyone who listens to this and enjoys it and wants to message in. Um, yeah, I don't really have a lot else to say. Oh yeah, but yeah, if you want longer ones, just let me know. Um, the problem is I hit about half an hour, which obviously we're coming up towards now. And I've said before, I haven't just talked for half an hour. This has been... Admittedly, we've had problems recording this. The equipment went wrong. The audio file corrupted. Not to redo it. I've been sick. Like this has been a nightmare to record this one, and I think it probably shows. The notes went missing. So, yeah, I hit about half an hour, and I really lose focus because I've normally been talking by then for well over an hour, and I just go blank. But that's for another time. Um, no story this week. Trying to get some more of people, but uh, my friend group is running a wee dry somehow. But I hope you all enjoyed this. Sincerely, thank you for listening. Hope you are doing good out there. If you're not, message in. And have a good one. Ta-ta, everybody.